Welcome to another impactful message from Cornerstone Church, where we truly believe there is one hope for every heart, Jesus Christ. If you'd like to check out more resources or view video of this sermon, visit us online at cornerstonerome.com. We're on uh, Ephesians today, so uh, I would tell you to turn there, but I'm, I'm not. Um, I want you to turn to Acts 19, and, and I'll tell you why in just a moment. But just go to Acts 19, click on your Bible, uh, or whatever you use there, and go to Acts 19. Um, Ephesians is a very interesting book. It's a very small book. Uh, it, it's, it shouldn't take you very long. And I'm not going to read as much as I did last week from Ephesians, but I'm going to read you quite a bit from Acts, because um, Ephesians is, is what's called a port city. Now, Haley and I were on vacation. We stayed in a port city for a week, and what that means is you're not in a port city. We at one time was called a port city because we had a river, you know, we got three rivers, whatever. But they used to uh, send out from Rome, you know, all kinds of industrial materials, uh, agriculture, whatever. It would go on the docks in Rome, believe it or not, and ship up and down the river. And it was a main, one of the main uh, areas of transport for many, many years in Rome, out of Rome. It's kind of interesting when you think about that. But how do you know that has changed? When's the last time you saw a barge up and down Rome, Georgia's rivers carrying a boatload of, you know, cargo? It hadn't happened in many, many years. Now, where does it come from? Most of it comes from China, Indonesia, other parts of the, the eastern, you know, area of the world. And we ship in and out in these port cities in like Seattle. I think, uh, uh, one of the other ones on the west coast, uh, you know, I can't, I'm not familiar with all the ones down further south. Maybe San Diego might be, but, uh, I know on the east coast, New York is one. You're, pretty familiar with that. There's some stuff down in Georgia. There's a port down in Georgia. But there's a number of ports, and these port cities are very interesting because port cities, um, as we found, as we're looking, they're very um, uh, unique and very diverse. Uh, you're not liable not to have as much diversity in Rome because it's a small community, small town. But in a port city, much like the East Coast or West Coast, you're going to have people coming in from other nations. They're an immigrant over. Much of, many of you, over two-thirds in this room, your ancestry line will go back to probably Ellis Island. You hadn't been here that long. I know we're proud, red, white, and blue, but I'm just telling you, your great, great, great somebody took a whooping to get in here. They, it was awful up there. But they made it through, but my point is, they came in and then went from somewhere throughout the states. But many people stay in these port cities, and it's very diverse. You have multi-ethnicities, multi-languages. And typically in port cities, they're very affluent. Very affluent. It doesn't mean everybody is. It just means the city itself has money. Ephesus was like that. It was a port city off of the Mediterranean. Very, very wealthy. And the one thing that I've learned this from uh, being... A, you know, involved with Gateway Church some, is in South Lake, it's a very fluent city, and I've heard Pastor Robert talk about this so much. Money is a very interesting thing. And money can make you think you are something that doesn't, it's not picking, but all of us in here, let me just say this, your wealth, you are well above, uh, you are nowhere near the poverty line, no matter what they tell you in the United States. You are nowhere near it. I've seen poverty. Nobody in here is that. You may have a need, but you are not in poverty. I don't care what they say. Oh, the poverty line. Let me tell you, you go to the backside of South Sudan where I've been, that, there isn't, poverty's not even the right word for that. That's un, it's ungodly in some of the areas, okay? You have more than what you realize. But wealth has a way of getting, if you're not careful, it can make you feel a little something more than you're not. And I've heard Pastor Robert say this so many times. People wanted to meet with him, give him money for something, and he, he'd have time with God or print. He said, no, I'll meet you later. And they were like, well, I can't believe you'd do that. He said, I'll never be moved by money. But he lives in a city that's very affluent. Why is that such a big deal? Because Ephesus 
The Ephesians church had money, they had wealth, they had commerce, they had intellect. They were very, very wise people. So when Paul talks to the church at Ephesus, he knows this. It's important to understand the culture in which Paul is writing to. The Galatians were a little bit different. We talked about them last week. Go back and listen to the message last week. The Ephesians church were, they had been built up in the area of knowledge, money, resources, and commerce. So when you have that background, I want to read you a couple of verses of scripture. You just stay in Acts 19. I'll put this on the screen for you, okay? You can write it down, circle it, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to show you a couple of things from Revelation, and then we're going to go to Acts, okay? Just so hold your spot there. But this is from Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1. When Jesus says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, I want you to write, to the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, which could mean more than likely pastors, overseers. It could mean churches, but more than likely it means the overseers there. To the one who walks among, and by the way, it doesn't mean there's necessarily seven churches. Ephesus was a big town. There could have been multiple churches in this town, but he's saying to the region of, to this area. And I don't get too deep in all that, but anyway. Um, to the one who walks among the seven golden lampstands. So there was a lampstand in every one of these churches or these regions, okay? He says, I know your deeds. He's talking to the church at Ephesus. This is what Jesus said. I know your deeds and on your toil and your perseverance. And you can't tolerate evil men. And you put to the test those who call themselves apostles, and they are not. And you found them to be false. And you have perseverance and have endured for my name's sake. And you've not grown weary. That sounds like a great thing, doesn't it? Of all the churches that he addressed, and this is Jesus, this is all, every one of these texts, these are not, but in your Bible, if you have a red letter edition Bible, this is in red because Jesus said it. Out of all the things he mentioned to churches, this is the one I would have hated to got the most. Because it's the most heartbreaking. Because he said, these are all great things, you hate this, you hate this, you know, but I have this thing against you, and he said, you've left your first love. Out of all the things that Jesus could say to you, is that not the worst thing you could think of? I mean, wouldn't you like him to say, hey man, you know what, you do all this, you do all that, you know, but here's the one thing I hate, I have against you. You know, you don't sing enough. Okay, I can fix that, you know. Out of all the things I have, you know, he names, so he says, you know, you just don't, maybe you don't volunteer like you should or whatever. I don't know, there could be anything, you pick it. But man, to say you've left your first love, that would be like my wife telling me, you just... You do great things, Jody, but you just, I don't feel like you love me anymore. Oh, it's like a dagger to the heart, man. Are y'all with me? That's got to be the worst out of all the church. You know, they, the Ephesians have to be thinking, you know, why did he have to put that in there? Why couldn't we have been the church at something else? Why? This is the worst. Not in meaning they're bad people. It just means that what happened? Their influence, their affluence, their knowledge, and everything that they acquired began to elevate them to the place where they thought they were something and they forgot who it was that got them where they were. They left their first love. And so when Jesus keeps talking to them, he says something else. He says, therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent, do the deed you did at first. So he's saying to them, here's the answer, or else I'm going to come to you and I'll remove your lampstand. That means the anointing from out of its place unless you repent. Watch this. Then he, and he kind of gives the sandwich thing. You know, when he correct, he's, here's a good thing. Here's what I don't like. Here's a great thing. You know, he kind of puts it together so it makes you feel okay, I guess. He says, but this you do have. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate, which I want to make very clear. Some, but I'll come back to this. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. 
hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Be, be sure you understand what I'm about to say. Please don't think for one minute that Jesus approves of everything that happens on the face of this planet. I know it's popular today. I get it. It's not politically correct to say this, but he hates some of the things that are going on in our nation. And I'm sorry if that ruffles people's feathers, but I'm telling you, we have got to not be mean, not be rude, and not be arrogant, but be clear. He loves people, but he hates the sin. And there's no reason to excuse it. And we can patty cake, patty cake, you know, and be nice and sweet and all we want to do. But I'm just telling you, wrong's wrong. And it don't mean you're great because you do a lot of right stuff. It just means he hates certain deeds. Now, what are those deeds? I'm not going to get in great deal, but in Revelation 2.14, he addresses the church at Pergamum and he says to them, in the same regard, these Nicolaitans, what are they doing that's so bad? Well, this is what Jesus says to the church at Pergamum. I'll put it on the screen for you. He says, I have a few things against you, Pergamum, because you have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit acts of immorality. In most cases, it would be sexual immorality. Verse 15, so you also have some who in the same way. In other words, just like this, this is what the Nicolaitans did. We don't know a lot about them, but we know this much is true. More than likely, it was idol worship and much sexual immorality. Now, I'm saying that, and I don't mean to blah, blah, blah. I'm keeping as G as I can. But the reality is, he hates it. He hates it. Doesn't mean he doesn't love people. Doesn't mean we don't love people. But it doesn't mean I cannot excuse. You can't have someone come to you and say, well, does Jesus love me? Yes, he loves you. Well, is he okay with all this? No, he's not okay with all that. But does he love me? Yes, he loves you. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That Watch this though. Hold tight. Because whoever, whoever, there's a big word right there, shall come unto him, confess unto him that he is Lord and Savior. Yes, he will receive them. But there's a big word, whoever will what? Repent. Doesn't mean you're going to be right. Doesn't mean you're perfect. Doesn't mean you've got your act together all the time. It means he's Lord. And when I see something that's wrong, I have to address and say, you know what? That ain't right. I hate it because I'm wrong. But if he's going to be Lord, I've got to be willing to repent at times and say, you know what, Lord? You're right. And I'm wrong. And you cannot in culture today excuse the wrong and say because he loves us, it's okay. It's not okay. Doesn't mean we're perfect. Does everybody understand the difference, right? But as a Christian, you have to understand this. We're doing no one any service by excusing things. We're not helping anybody. Don't be rude, don't be arrogant, don't be mean. Don't get your bullhorn out and start fighting people on the sidewalks with their sins. That's not going to help anybody. That's going to make me feel bad. I mean, my gosh, you know. Nobody likes that stuff. But it doesn't mean you have to excuse your walk. So, well, I guess this is okay today because everybody else says it is. It's not. Does he love people? Yes. Does he hate sin? Yes. He can do both. This is what was going on in Ephesians. He said, you hate these things the Nicolaitans do, so good for you. That's good. That's good. He commends it. But he said, look, and all the things that you're pursuing that you hate, and all the things that you stand for that you believe is right, I have this thing against you. You've left your first love. It's possibly so full of righteous indignation that you forget about what's most important, that he's first. So 
A little bit about Ephesus before I read you Acts 19. I know you're thinking, well, what's Acts 19 have to do with Ephesians? I'll show you in just a minute. A couple of things that you need to know about Ephesians before we go forward. This is really important. Because why would Jesus say this to them? Because it was rampant in their society. They worshipped a god called Artemis. Artemis was a goddess of fertility. Very sensual type thing. A lot of stuff going on there. And of magic and of astrology. They worshipped it. Today, what do you hear so common today? More and more people are talking more about, about astrology. Nothing wrong with learning about it, understanding it, and having a knowledge about some things. But when you start believing that your zodiac and everything else has more authority in your life than the power of Christ, I'm sorry, you have been deceived. It's baloney. The Magi charted stars. That is different. That is not, that is a scientist's work. <laughs> that is not astrology. That's not sitting around, well, ooh, what does the stars say today? Ooh, my sign is this. Today should be a good day. Oh, it said this, and that's why it rained. Listen, that is demonic. You better stay away from it. That's right. Amen. That's right. I know it's true. Sorry. You don't have to say anything. Sorry. I know it is. I'm, I'm going to be just for, this may just be for me today. Praise the Lord. But they found animal bones around this, this goddess that proves it was cultic in its worship. So they had this false god of worship. They had a lot of Gnosticism. Pay attention to what I'm telling you this morning. Gnosticism. Now I'll put this on the screen for you. You can take a picture of this. It's long. But or you can go back later and read it, but I'll read you a part of it. It's a religious movement that stressed a superior philosophy. People, watch this, and listen very carefully to what I'm telling you. Pay attention. People believe they could only be saved through revealed knowledge, or the Greek word is gnosis, or where we get the word gnostics from, gnosis. Gnostics also held a negative view of the physical or material world, Gnostics viewed knowledge as a gift of, watch this, salvation from above, joining the knower and the deity. Now, I'm not going to pick, I just want to be clear. When we send our children to higher education, you better make sure what that higher education is influencing your kids towards. Not picking on your new university. Go dogs, baby. I'm just saying. I'm just, sorry, that was shameless. But anyway, when they go and they come back and they start saying to you things that contradict the Bible, it is our job as parents to make sure, listen, honey, you're going to hear some stuff there that is not true. And you can get a good education understand they're wrong. When knowledge gets to the point where the university has elevated itself above and beyond God, I'm sorry, they're fools. And you can still go there and get a good education, but don't buy into all their baloney, right? You understand what I'm saying? Daniel did it. The three Hebrew boys that thrown to the fire, they did it. Anyway, Gnostics, they're here today in your country, in your community, and sometimes in your Christian circles. The Gnostics actually came out of religious and Christianity roots. Be careful of it. Be careful of it. And they also had magic. This was very popular, primarily among the poor and uneducated. It's still that way today. If you go to places like Haiti, other regions, parts of Sudan, other places, you'll see it. Because why? Because when you're uneducated, uh, you believe a lot of things. And if you're poor, you, you can't afford the insurance for things or whatever. So you'll do whatever. You'll buy it. You'll pay the voodoo guy. You'll pay this and pay that to, to make it happen. And people think this stuff is cute. Oh, I just think it's cute. I'll go down to Bourbon Street and see the voodoo man. I'm telling you right now, you're a fool if you do that. 
You hang out with that stuff and throw that stuff and get them cards and whatever they do and whatever all that mess is. I'm telling you, you playing with stuff, you don't know what you're doing. You're watching online, don't get mad at me. I love you. That's why I'm telling you this. But Ephesian, the church of Ephesus or the region of Ephesus, they were inundated with this mess. And in, there is proof of this that Ephesus was known as a place of demonic activity. And a lot of people are confused. They think, well, these demons are hiding behind things. They got pitchforks and horns and all this kind of... No, they're not. Satan comes as an angel of light. And if you... Sometimes Jesus said it like this. If the light that you think you have is actually darkness, how great is that darkness that you're walking in? There's some people... I'm just telling you, I'm just being real with you this morning. Is it all right? Y'all good? You've got to watch some of the stuff that people are telling you. You've got to be careful what people are telling your children. I'm not picking on people. I'm not being mean. I'm being real with you. This idea today that somehow or another people have this great knowledge. Oh, have, we all have Google. I can look that mess up too. Woo! Look what we know today. Be careful of people who exalt these kind of things above God. When they have no place for God, I'm telling you, their knowledge sometimes is not what they think it is. So Acts, why Acts? I'm going to read you a couple of things and read you some scripture. But Acts, Paul preached in Ephesus much more than you realize and did ministry in Ephesus much more than you realize. So I want you to see the culture and then you're going to see, well, why, Pastor? Are we talking about it like this? Because I want you to see and see if it sounds familiar to you today. So in Acts chapter 18, we'll start there. You can go to Acts 19, but I'm just going to throw this up for you. These are a couple of little, just things in Acts. It'll be most of it is in Acts 19. These are things that took place in Ephesus. And see if it doesn't throw off some things today. Now, I'm, I'm assuming it may make some people upset, but it's going to be okay. If we're mature, we'll be able to handle it, okay? Everybody say, I am mature. If you're at home right now, you say, I am mature. Best Jerry, type it in the text box right now. I am mature. I'm not going to get mad. I'll hang in there. I won't leave. You know, now if you have to leave, we're not going to, if you have to go to work or something like that, nobody's going to judge you, okay? But if you do, it's going to be kind of weird in it right now. <laughs> There's a guy named Apollos in Acts 18. There's a guy named Apollos. Apollos is the guy that Paul talks about in Corinthians. He says, who is Apollos and who is Paul? The servants of the most high God. In other words, is why are you, why are you building us up like we're something? We're just preachers. And Paul said, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Quit, quit, quit picking it who's the best of whatever. Get over that mess and maturity. Paulos started out in Acts 18 and verse 24. I'll, you put up the reference so that you can write it down. But Apollos started out his ministry teaching the ministry of John the Baptist. He was very fervent. He was a great speaker. Oh, mercy. He was an eloquent speaker. He got the attention of people and he preached the truth about Jesus. But he wasn't saved. Like He wasn't even a Christian. He was, he was an unbeliever. But he believed so strong in John the Baptist and in Jesus Christ. He was eloquent. Man, he would get an audience captive. And watch what happens. He, th- these two ladies named Priscilla and Aquila. They came along and said, huh, this old boy's pretty good. Verse 26. He began to speak so boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila, by the way, I want to make this clear. They were women. Don't want to confuse this. They were women. If you're at home, they were women. If you're a man in the room, listen, they were women. Why am I saying that? Because just hear very carefully. They took him to the side and said, listen, Junior. They explained to him the way of God more accurately. 
Now, I don't know about you, but we ought to be thankful for every woman that ever took the time to preach to us, to give us the truth to us, and pray for us in the name of Jesus. Because I'm telling you, it wasn't a lot of guys in my field that was doing it. Just going to be real honest with you. It just wasn't. Wasn't a lot of men sitting me down saying, Jody, here's what the Bible says. There's a lot of women. And this whole idea is resurfaced today that says, oh, women should not. I, I thought this was gone. Here, here it comes right back. You know, and you do this long enough, you start seeing these things. They come back around. I used to hear this from preachers that were older, and they would say, I've seen this resurface, resurface three or four times, and I think, oh, yeah, that's preacher talk. It ain't. It really happens. And here we go again. Women shouldn't be teaching men stuff. Well, here you go. Here's two ladies that certainly did it, and it's in the Bible. So, I, you know, if my wife gets up to preach, another pastor gets up to preach, whatever, I don't want our church to be a church that says, well, a woman can't, shouldn't be. I'm going to tell you right now, women are great preachers and women are great teachers. And don't buy into that baloney. But that's surfacing again. Why? Because knowledge. Ooh, we know a bunch of stuff. Well, we better be careful. Well, what are you going to do with Priscilla and Aquila? Because they did this, and this was in Ephesus. Now, the next one he did, Paul, this is where Paul, and this is Acts 19, verse 1. Paul convinced disciples of John the Baptist to receive Christ. He did. These guys were all so fervent, probably because they heard Apollos preach, I don't know. But he came in, he said, listen, man, you guys got to convert. So he converts these men, he's very eloquent, he's able to convert these people. <clears throat> and he said to these disciples when he came through Ephesus, and he said this, he said, uh, have you received the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, we don't, we have not heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. So they were still preaching John's baptism. They never taught about Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God, nothing. And he said to them, and well then into what were you baptized into water? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, watch, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in him who was coming after him, and that is Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began to speak with tongues, and they prophesied. And there were about 12 men, and he entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading with them about the kingdom of God. And I want to say something. I had someone ask me this question this week. So I'm going to say this. I figured, you know, it's important to hear this. Someone asked me, they said, well, Pastor Jody, I've heard about this, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I've heard you say you pray in the Spirit. I don't understand does that mean I don't have something? I feel like, and the question was coming across as, I feel like I'm less than. And I said, hold on a second. You're not less than. That's exactly what the enemy would like you to believe. If a guy works a miracle and you don't, does that make you less than? Oh, see, I got a few of you right there, didn't I? You bought in this lie too. Oh, they work a miracle. They must be better than you. Oh, they're on TV. They must be a better Christian than you. That's not true. Oh, because they have some gift that makes them, oh, they're a pastor. Oh, no, it's not. No one is better than anyone in the body of Christ. If you're a believer, you are a Christ follower. You've been redeemed with the same blood as a guy on TV, knocking people down on the TV. You, there is nothing beneath you when you are looking at, that's why we don't measure ourselves against ourselves thinking that we're higher than we are. No, we measure ourselves against who? Christ. And once I measure against Jesus and I put you up against Jesus, guess what happens? I'm no longer folks when you. I say, oh, man, Woo, I'm a peon. That's what we all are at. So don't buy this lie that, oh, they got a gift. Woo, they must be spiritual, super saint. No, they're not. They have a grace from God. 
And anybody that starts building upon that grace like it's if it's something they got, they're wrong. I thought I'd get a little more, you know, excitement than that. That's all right. You know, well, we'll move on to the next part. So I told this individual, then he said, yeah, but then what about this whole uh, thing about spirit-filled stuff? I said, well, it says they, some of them prayed in tongues, some of them prophesied. If you ever heard Pastor Robert's testimony, he prophesied for many, many, many months. And by the way, if you want to know how to be filled with the Spirit, listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 5.18 to the church at Ephesus. He says, and do not get drunk on wine because that is an excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Well, how do you do that, Paul? He says to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Man, hey, listen, she ought to be filled up to the top. All of a sudden, her mom used to do this. We go over her house, her mom hums all the time. You heard Ronnie talk about it. Now she's doing it. It's like, man, you walk through the house, it's, you know, it's just humming all the time. She hums a lot better than I do. But it's worship songs all the time. And that's good. Isn't it funny when you get around somebody and you start talking about the Bible and not trying to prove your point, but just listening to one another and encouraging one another in the word, what does it do to you? I feel a little bigger. I feel a little better. I feel, because that's what's feeling you. But the more you listen to philosophy and foolish talk and jesting and all that mess, nothing wrong with jokes, but doesn't, it, it depletes you. If you get around somebody that's going to fill your tank, how's that happen? Talking, speaking, hymns, spiritual songs in the word. Watch this. Making melody or humming with your heart to the Lord. Always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, even the Father. And be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. That's how you're filled. Please don't ever think that because someone else has a gift a grace from God, that that makes you beneath them. That is ridiculous. That is not what the Bible teaches. We are Christians, Christ followers with the same blood upon each of our hearts. And that makes us co-heirs with Jesus, not measuring ourselves against one another. And thank God for it. I mean, I used to have to do that thing. Oh, man, I'm not there. I'm not here. Man, once you get over that, life gets a lot better, a whole lot better. So, let me give you a couple more things, all right? Acts chapter 19, verse 9, this is where Paul, he left the synagogue and went to speak at a secular hall. <laughs> Interesting thing. Acts 19, verse 9, he said, some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the people. So guess what Paul did? He didn't keep trying. He said, hmm, okay. So he found him a secular hall at the hall of Tyrannus, and he went to speak there for quite some time. Church wouldn't have nothing to do with him, so what did Paul say? Okay, they go rent a hall somewhere. And he preached there. This is all in Ephesus. He healed many diseases. I'm, I'm getting through these kind of quick, but Acts 19, verse 11. He healed a lot of diseases through aprons and handkerchiefs. It's very interesting. This all took place in Ephesus, by the way. So God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs and aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out. I just want to read that because uh, there's a lot of deals sometimes made by this that, well, we've got to have handkerchiefs and aprons. This ridiculous. It's ridiculous. That was one case in the Bible right there were handkerchiefs and aprons. I can give you many more cases where Jesus did stuff like he spoke the word and they were healed. Elisha laid on top of some kid and got him healed. He tells one guy, hey, man, go dip in the Jordan River seven times and you're going to be healed. There's random stuff like this. You can't build a case on one thing. But that's what knowledge will do. It will try to elevate something to a place of prominence and position so that if we do this and you don't, we have the advantage. 
See, I'm bringing down something to you. Just hang on. I'm almost done. Just hang on. These new Christians in verse 18, chapter 19, verse 18, they burned their magic books. Did you know that the occult was very prevalent in Ephesus? It says, many also who had believed kept coming, confessing, and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together, and they began burning them in the sight of everyone. Some books are good to burn. Some books are good to burn. That mess they did with Hitler's Nazi, no. But the occult and all this voodooism mess, there's nothing wrong with burning those things, using them for kindling. I wouldn't burn them in my house. I'd burn them outside somewhere. Matter of fact, I'd probably take them to an incinerator. I wouldn't burn them on my property. <clears throat> but anyway, so they said it was worth 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a lot of money. They burned them up. <clears throat> and then because of all this was taking place in verse 23, the riot of the silversmiths occurred. These guys, I'm not going to read all this to you. You can take the notation down. They got angry because they made these little silver gods or these idols in the form of the goddess Artemis. And because they made this, they made a lot of money because people in Ephesus worshipped this idol. And guess what? So then, because they did, all these people started converting to Christ and burning their occult books and leaving this mess and got out of all this immorality. The silversmith's mad. Well, hold on a minute. I'm losing money here. This isn't right. And he creates a big uproar in the city of Ephesus, which goes back to what? It was about their money. It was about their influence. Is about their position in society. You know, if a business were to shut down that was ungodly, I don't want to rejoice in the fact on one hand, but on the flip side of it, if every Planned Parenthood place closed their doors, it wouldn't bother me a bit. But there's some people, just because I said that, oh, they'd just burn me on the stake for even mentioning that. How dare you? What about the women? I got, listen, I don't, not, this sounds weird when I say it. I got women all around me. I got three girls. I got a wife, my grandmama. I'm always surrounded by ladies. And I ain't not one time seen where they were not able to get what they needed. There's multiple doctors. But see, some of y'all look at me like, I can't believe you didn't say that. Well, whoop de doo Is that not true? Because if you knew what was going on in there, Masked behind all this knowledge of, oh, we provide all these services for women. No, what they provide is the one thing that should be stopped, period. But it's excused because of what? Knowledge. Ooh, we know something that you can't get at another provider. Baloney. That's not true. Wouldn't bother me a bit. So one last thing I'll say about this and we'll wrap up. Paul visited Ephesus on his second and third missionary journeys. And you can read this in Acts 20. But why would I read all this? Why, what's the point, Pastor? Why did you read all that stuff that happened in Ephesus? Because, again, Ephesus was a very affluent and very <clears throat> well-positioned city and town. And one of the things about the city of Ephesus is this. They had gained in knowledge in such a way they were far more advanced than what people believe. They, um, I don't know if they had a football team, but they did have a stadium. Uh, their stadium would seat about 25,000 people. Now, you don't build stadiums unless you know something. They had high intellect. had a lot of resources. They were positioned on the coast that was a great position for a city. And before long, they believed that their position elevated them to a place where they didn't really have to depend on Jesus so much. They began to trust more in their wealth, their position, and their knowledge. And knowledge is something that's very interesting this morning. I want you to hear me on this. There's nothing wrong with knowledge. My wife is a learner. She loves to learn. 
she she learns things. A lot of times she tells me stuff, and I say, oh, I can use that. I'm mean, writing notes down in my mind, like, I'm going to use that. That's great. I didn't have to study. That's <laughs> Keep doing it, baby. Keep doing it. <laughs> but she loves to learn, and nothing wrong with knowledge. But knowledge is a, it can have a twofold you know, application. On one hand, God says in Hosea, chapter 4, he says, my people are what? Destroyed for a lack of what? So if you don't know certain things, you can get run over. If you don't understand how to manage certain things, how the world works in certain things, you're going you're gonna to get just run over. You just are, period. You can say, it's not fair. Oh, we all have equal this and all that and blah, 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 blah. And it's not fair. And everybody ought to have the same amount of money. And that's ridiculous. It's never going to happen. It's never happened in all the world. It's not going to happen now no matter what people do. You better figure out how the world works and understand it. Nothing wrong with that. That's you don't know something, you can get run over. On the flip side, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 8, he said knowledge, one translation says, puffs up. One other says it like this, knowledge makes one arrogant. So why did I give you all of this? Because Paul does something to the Ephesians that I want to do for you right now. It doesn't mean I believe you are this way. It just means be careful that we don't become like they did. Paul prayed for the Ephesian church. And when you see the context of the Ephesians and what he writes about, he writes about how you treat your man. That means husband. He, treats, he talks about how to treat your wife. That's your spouse, your wife. Husbands teach your wife how to teach your children, how to raise a family, how to deal with your business, how to handle employees and employers. All these things of instruction that are knowledge. But he says, first, I pray for you. This is in Ephesians 1.15. And I'm going to pray this over you. And I'm going to pray over you another prayer. And I'm going to tell you why. Paul would pray this for you. So I'd ask you just to maybe just close your eyes and just receive this prayer as we, as we prepare to, to close up. Paul would say this to the church at Ephesus, and I'm going to say this to the church at Cornerstone, okay? And if you're watching online, I'm praying for you as well. You're not excluded from this. For this reason, I pray, or I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, would exist among you and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you might know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the surpassing greatness of his power towards us who believe. And these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his mind. That's an amen. And that's in Ephesians 1.15. So part of what gets lost in this is, why would he pray for spiritual revelation and wisdom? Why would he do that if they had so much knowledge already? It's because their knowledge and their insight was in everything else. But they forgot their first love. They forgot that if they studied something, who gives you the revelation of what you do have? It's the Lord. It's when you have a moment with God, you forget, oh man, I thought, well, that was a good parenting job I just did. Yeah, but was it really you or was it God working through you? Come on, somebody, right? You think as a husband, oh man, I did pretty good. My wife's in a virtue thing right there. You know, you start struggling a little bit like I got. Was it really you? Come on, or was it the Holy Spirit working through you, right? They forgot, they started thinking that, man, I've elevated. I got that. I'm there, baby. Woo, look out. I'm a super Christian. No. The moment we think we are at our greatest is when we're at our least. 
So Jesus, I mean, so Paul would pray this for them. He said, I've said, Paul said, I pray, I pray, I pray for you, Ephesus, that you would turn again to your first love. And so he prayed this one other prayer, and I'll read this to you in Ephesians 3 and verse 17. And listen to how he references this. And I'll put this on the screen, but I'm going to pray this over you as well. I pray so that Christ might dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love. I'm praying that you be rooted and grounded in love. Might be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the depth, and the height. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses what? Oh, you see, you're not going to get this from Google, baby. You're just not. I'm praying that the love of Christ surpasses knowledge that you might be filled to all the fullness of God. It's when it brings you back to your knees once again and say, Mercy! Jesus, I, I forgot how great you really are, man. I thought I had gotten here, but whew, it brings you back to the place you once were and not elevated which we think we are. He says, now unto him is able to do, watch this, far more above, abundantly beyond anything we could ever ask or think what we know according to the power that works within us. He says, listen, your knowledge is great, but just be careful that it doesn't become king. But Jesus remains king. So this morning, I want to pray for you. You're watching at home right now. I just want to pray over us all right now. Would you close your eyes and bow your head just for a moment? I want to pray over all of us in this room right now. You're watching at home right now. I want to lift you up and pray over you. You know, there's times in our life where this happens and we forget how wonderful he really is, how gracious he really is, that he still forgives sin, that he doesn't hold things over our heads. Thank you, Jesus, that when you said you forgave, it was complete. We are so grateful today, Lord, that it is a sealed work of the Holy Spirit in our salvation with you. I thank you, God, for that. But Lord, there are times when we all, we get a little puffed up, we get a little further ahead of you, maybe in our knowledge. We think we know things, we forget, Lord, but it is by your grace, it is by your knowledge and your spirit that you reveal things to us. And we ask you today, Holy Spirit, would you help us remember that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, it comes from you. God, we are completely dependent upon you with our business, with our income, with what's happening in our nation. God, with our stand with you, Lord, our walk with you, we are completely and hopelessly given up on everything in this world, but we depend upon you solely. In Jesus' name. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you today, I pray they would remember this and understand this and they would confess to you their lordship to you today. So while your eyes are closed, no one's looking around, I want to pray for you. I want you to repeat this prayer with me. The whole church is going to pray with you. If you're watching online right now at home, we're going to pray this prayer right now. This is your prayer. The Bible says the Holy Spirit seals you the seal of redemption, if you will, when you pray and confess Christ as Lord. So I'm going to lead you in this prayer right now. The whole church is going to pray together. Just repeat this after me. Say, dear Jesus, I come to you today and I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you everything. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me and to cleanse me. And I accept you as my Savior and my Redeemer. Lord, I renounce everything that I think I know about you. And I accept your divine wisdom and revelation 
Fill my heart in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Man, if you prayed that prayer, we're so proud. Right, church? Could you give him a hand, please? <clears throat> amen. Amen. So proud of you. You prayed that prayer. If you're watching online right now and you prayed that prayer in this room, you can simply go to connect.cornerstonerome.com. We're going to help you get started walking with Christ. Many people have questions about their walk with the Lord and about what they need from God. We want to help you get started in that. You don't have to do this on your own. God intended for us to be a family that would work together as a church and, and learn from one another as he gives a little bit to this and a little bit to that. So if you have questions, please go in there right now, connect.cornerstonerome.com. I want to help you get started walking with Christ. Everybody else in the room, won't you stand with me? Those of you at home, just hang tight as we pray this over you before you click off. always want to speak this over you today. And um, man, just take the rain as a sign of God's goodness, just just raining down on you spiritually, you know? Just take it as a good thing. Take it as a blessing. But Numbers chapter 6 says this, May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and may he give you his peace. In Jesus' name, that's our prayer for you. God bless you guys. You're dismissed. We'll see you next week. If today's message blessed you, we want to encourage you to take a moment and share this podcast with a friend. Remember, there's one hope for every heart, and that's Jesus. See you next time.